Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. In this episode, we're taking a look at the best-selling novel that scandalized America in the 1950s, Peyton Place by Grace Metallius. Its themes include abortion, incest and alcoholism, and even today it probably deserves a trigger warning. It's also a subversively feminist book. It gives a glimpse into hidden aspects of women's lives, and it explores society's changing attitudes towards sex. We're joined by special guest Dave O. Dodge, the author of The Seasons of Grace, The Unauthorised Backstory of Peyton Place. The year is 1956, and the literary world is in uproar. Peyton Place is being critically panned, and it's even banned in several cities, but its popularity is spreading like wildfire. Curious teenagers are stealing their parents' copies, and it's the subject of whispered conversations between housewives. The book heaps scandal upon scandal. There's a teenage girl being abused by her stepfather, a torrid love affair between a single mother and the school principal, adulterous housewives, a murder, a suicide, and a gruesome accident at the carnival. Readers can't get enough. By the end of 1956, it's already sold 100,000 copies. One critic describes the book as literary sewerage. And a reviewer from the New York World Telegram says harshly, Never before in my memory has a young mother published a book in language approximately that of a longshoreman on a bellicose binge. The young mother in question, Grace Metallius, hits back at her detractors, saying, If I'm a lousy writer, then an awful lot of people have lousy taste. Peyton Place is notorious. But who was the woman behind this gossipy blockbuster, and what inspired her to write it? Dubbed a Pandora in blue jeans by her publishers, Grace is born Marie Grace de Repentigny in 1924. She grows up poor in the mill town of Manchester in the United States, to French-Canadian parents Alfred and Laurette. They separate when she's ten years old, and from childhood... Writing is both her passion and her escape from real life. Despite Grace's beautiful prose, she never receives any tertiary education. At the time her book is published, she's a 32-year-old housewife with a young family living in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. Our guest, Dave O. Dodge, discusses her background. And the author Grace was a, um, an uneducated immigrant, well, first-generation French-Canadian, never went to college, married at 17, her first baby at 18, but she had this passion in her, this, this need to tell stories and to write, and she wrote from a very young age, from a very young girl, she wrote plays all through her, her, her school, and then even after getting married and trying to raise a family, she spent hours and hours at the typewriter because this was her passion. And Peyton Place was the first product. She ended up writing four novels, but Peyton Place was by far the most famous. And in 1956, when it was released, um, it was released by the Messner Publishing Company by 
probably the only women-owned publishing house in New York at the time. And Kitty Messner wanted to tell stories or publish stories about women. And this is why Grace's um, book was taken. And it shot to start it. In 1956, it's estimated one in every 29 Americans reads Peyton Place, though many kept it out of sight, tucked away in the bedside drawer. It stays on the New York Times bestseller lists for 59 weeks. Citizens of the town of Gilmanton don't appreciate being thrown into the limelight. They take Grace's novel personally, and there's a lot of anger towards the Metallius family. But in fact, Grace has borrowed stories from every community she's ever lived in and woven them together to create her book. She's a keen observer of people, and she's also drawn material from her vivid imagination and her own life. One of Grace's famous quotes was, um, nobody writes about something that they don't know. So she wrote about her life and about the surroundings of her life. She modeled the city of, or the town of Peyton Place in her novel against the city where she grew up. The same street names, the same parallel, the same, you know, religions from Catholicism to Protestantism, um, and how this town was laid out. So she took that from her upbringing in her home of Manchester, and she placed it into another part of New Hampshire. So I'm not sure what inspired Grace to write, but she did have a huge need to tell stories and she wrote beautifully and she told the stories that she knew combining them all into one fictional city one fictional town the main character in peyton place is allison mckenzie a dreamy but ambitious teenage girl who longs to become an author she's a fish out of water in the town and readers might assume that grace metallius modeled this character at least partly on herself. But Grace also has more than a few things in common with Alison's tragic friend, Selina, the bad girl who lives in the shacks on the town's outskirts. At the time she started writing, Grace was a shack dweller too. She was impoverished. Her husband was a, was a first-time school teacher. She had three kids and she wrote and she lived in a very meager, meager um, dwelling. But on the acceptance of Peyton Place, she got a, an advance um, for her novel, and she went and bought a house up the street in Gilmington. And Gilmington is a beautiful, quaint little New England town. And most people felt when they read Peyton Place, it was Gilmington, which it was not. But the people in town did not like Grace. Um, in fact, she was nicknamed Miss Messy Bessie at one time. Her husband had accepted a job as the school principal in the town but, and didn't fulfill his contract because once the book was, was released, they, they didn't renew his contract. So he lost his job. And that's why another reason why Peyton Place catapulted itself, because it was in the gossip columns. The gossip um, writers and the reporters descended upon Gilmington in 1956 and 1957, and it just gave so much publicity to this, to this little novel. So no, I don't think they liked her so much, but I think they warmed up to her. Life changed dramatically for the family after Grace shot to fame. 
They had trips to New York, the, uh, the plaza. They, um, they were really in the spotlight um, because this was a small town housewife who wrote the first dirty book. They made good copy in newspapers, photoplay magazines, Hollywood magazines. And then less than a year later, 20th Century Fox picks it up to make a film. And the film which stars Lana Turner and Hope Lang and Diane Farsi which went on to be nominated for nine Academy Awards in 1957. It just helped Grace become this sort of surrealistic person living in New Hampshire, writing books and, and, and hating it all, but loving it secretly, I think. She and, she and her husband split after some, some difficulties. She remarried. She decided um, that she would write another book because she was spending more money than she was making. So there was a sequel, Return to Peyton Place, which also came out to, in a film. Her next novel was called The Tight White Collar. And um, her last book was called No Adam. And No Adam in Eden is more of an autobiographical um, story about her life. And no Adam and Eden referring to there were no men in her life growing up. And she grew up in a mill town, and this is four generations living in one roof. And this is by far considered to be her best literary work. It was her least commercial work. Um, it came out just before she passed. Despite her success, and like some of the characters in her novel, Grace Metallius's life is blighted by alcoholism and she dies only eight years after the publication of her novel, at the age of just 39, after years of heavy drinking. People reading about the impact of this book, or even listening to this podcast, might come away with the impression that Peyton Place was full of non-stop lurid drama, but this wouldn't be doing it justice. It's also a thoughtful, poignant, and at times very funny homage to small-town life. Amidst the heartthrobs and abusive villains, one of the most memorable male characters in the novel is the Doctor, who acts as the town's conscience. He sees all the townspeople's secrets and intervenes when he can behind the scenes. The novel was decried by some critics as a bad influence on readers, but from a modern perspective, it's very moralistic. Hypocrisy is exposed and bad characters eventually get their just desserts. Grace doesn't take on the issue of race, and unfortunately a lot of her characters are prone to casual racism. But she does directly address the economic gulf between rich and poor in the town, and the double standards around sex in the 1950s for men and women. The novel's strong female characters and the way they make their own decisions around their personal lives has made this novel a popular choice for women's literature courses in the United States. Dave tells us why the story of Peyton Place resonated so strongly with him, and why Grace was so relatable to so many people. Like Grace, uh, I didn't go to college, she didn't go to college, she's French-Canadian, first um, generation, my, we are as well. I grew up in a very small town of 6,000 people. She grew up in a very small town. And what I liked was Grace's tenacity to, to beat the odds. She wrote and wrote and was published and was very successful. 
And the more I got to know Grace through my research, the more I wish I had known her because, you know, she's been gone for many, many years and um, that um, she was an inspiration to, to herself and, and to her friends and to probably the, her readers because she's empowered her readers um, of painting place if they were women to, to emulate or perhaps um, make their own decisions like her characters did. And before 1956, women had a, were not as empowered as they are today. But she empowered her women in her novel. By the early 1960s, years of drinking and partying are taking a toll on Grace's health. Today, she might have been able to access the support she needed to kick her drinking habit. But in the 1950s and 60s, knowledge of alcoholism and how to effectively treat it wasn't advanced. Dave discusses Grace's final years. She's a party girl. She's a nonconformist. She's a woman in her own right. She wears blue jeans and men's shirts and she wears sneakers. And she's not going to um, do anything she doesn't want to do. She has kind of a, a filthy mouth. She has a, no filter. And um, either you like that sort of person or you don't. But Grace, by far, commanded um, the room. She commanded her friends. She was very well um, thought of in, in a lot of circles, especially her friends. But everybody had their hands out. Everybody was taking advantage of her fame. Drink was the thing that she liked. My book is, it can be very dark. The Seasons of Grace is, is, can be dark because it tells the story of Grace going down that rabbit hole of alcoholism. And in 1956 through 1961, alcoholism um, probably didn't get the, um, the notoriety that it does today. And she pretty much didn't even know she had sclerosis of the liver. Towards the end of her life, Grace cuts quite a lonely and vulnerable figure. Things deteriorate when her final lover, a shadowy figure called John Rees, enters the scene in 1963. Within weeks of meeting her, he moves in, and he later becomes her business manager. According to her friends, Grace becomes more and more isolated, and her poor health worsens. Two hours after changing her will in Reese's favour, she dies in Beth Israel Hospital in February 1964. There's a public legal battle, and Reese eventually relinquishes his claim on her estate. But Grace never got around to properly protecting the fortune she made from Peyton Place, and due to embezzlement by one of her agents and her own extravagance, there was actually nothing left. At the time of her death, she was deeply in debt. In his later years, Grace's first husband, George Metallius, described his ex-wife to journalists as a woman who was deeply caring but naive and who tended to trust the wrong people. In 1964, following Grace's death, Peyton Place hits the small screen, becoming America's first soap opera serial, starring Mia Farrow as Alison McKenzie. The show runs for five years. It wins the hearts of fans all over the world and makes millions for its producers, Fox. It's hard to know what Grace Metallius would have made of it. 
The plot departs from the book in many ways, but the adaptation keeps some of the key themes and characters and the small-town atmosphere. Romance, scandals, crime, death. Peyton Place was a true roller coaster of a novel. Its author earned notoriety by prying beneath the surface of 1950s American society and exposing the seedy underbelly of small-town life. But her book was so much more than that. Grace Metallius was a woman who was ahead of her time and a highly original storyteller taken from the world far too soon. Dave O. Dodge speaks about the lasting legacy of Peyton Place. Do you know it still continues to sell 50,000 copies a year, 65 years or later? Um, people are discovering Peyton Place every day. I think that um, as far as we move into to this new century, 22 years later, the topics that were in the book are still rele relevant today as they were then. I don't think um, on my Facebook page and on my Instagram account, I produced a few videos and I've had a video of Grace and it was 1957. It's a very black and white grainy TV show. And her and the interviewer asked her, what did she think the legacy of Peyton Place would be? And she, in her own wisdom, said, well, I don't think it'll be anything. It'll be forgotten in a year. And so her, her being naive probably didn't realize what she had written and didn't realize that even today, you know, uh, Peyton Place resonates with so many people. So the legacy continues. I'm sure there'll be a remake of Hollywood of the film. It needs to be readdressed in the vein of the original novel because 20th Century Fox and censors in 1957 had to tone it down. I also think that Grace as an author, as a character, her life needs to come to life. I think my novel is a, the perfect vehicle to, to bring the story of Grace Metallius to the small screen or the big screen. But it will continue. I'm confident, and I'm confident that Peyton Place will live on for many more generations because of its um, lasting ability to resonate with so many different topics and so many different people. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. I'm Robin Harrison. A very special thanks to our guest, Dave O. Dodge, the author of Seasons of Grace, an unauthorised backstory of Peyton Place. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Elena McPhee. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song by discussing the Suez Canal crisis, one of the most important events of the 20th century. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com, that's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.